Hey everyone, it's Misty Lynn, your host of the 52 Portrait Project. Today, I am lucky enough to be talking to Rachel Redmond. Rachel is a licensed acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. You've also studied Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. And you specialize in digestive health, fertility, and postpartum support. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Rachel is one of the special women who reached out to me and suggested herself mm -hmm which I love when women find that voice and know in their heart that their story can help other people. So I'm going to read, if you don't mind, a little sure. bit of the email that you initially sent me. Okay. I got this email from Rachel, and she said, I'm reaching out to you now because I'm looking for opportunities to share my story of having a so-called late-term abortion. Now that Kavanaugh has been confirmed to the Supreme Court, I feel a great urgency to keep sharing a perspective on abortion that often goes untold. I'm moved that you have the courage to share this story so that people can understand it from that personal perspective. Well, thank you, and mm -hmm. I'm really glad to be here and having the opportunity to share my story. Mostly it's just been so healing for me to keep telling it, and so it's, it's really something I'm just, I do for my own self-healing. Yeah. But in doing so, I've started to connect with other people, and I, I see the, the importance of this story being out there and the story being told. And um, just creating a little bit more context to the issue of abortion because it's just, it's so challenging for me when people assume an opinion about abortion, whether it's right or wrong. Let's just hear our stories. Let's just hear the stories from women because they're all different and I don't think there's a right or wrong. So before we get into that part of your story, mm -hmm. I send all the women that are part of this project eight questions and we try to get to some of them while we're sitting together. So I'm going to start with the first question. Okay. Do you have a practice, spiritual or not, or a ritual that you engage in daily? And I always get to this one. Your answer to this question started with talking about how you started meditating when you were 19. Mm, yes. Wow. Uh -huh. So let's start there okay. and tell us a little bit of your story. Yeah, that seems like that's a long time ago yeah. now. It's a lot of years <laughs> of meditating at this point. The reason I came to meditation in the first place was because I had digestive issues for most of my life. And... That was actually why I found Ayurveda, was because I was hoping to find a way to heal my stomach. And um, so when I went to college, my stomach issues just got a lot worse to the point that they were getting unmanageable and taking over my life. And I went to a Western doctor, and they gave me medication, and I took mm -hmm. it and was grateful for it. It helped me. But I thought, there's got to be a better way, and there must be something deeper going on if I'm pretty healthy but having these chronic stomach issues. And I was lucky enough that my mom's best friend introduced me to a doctor of Ayurveda. So the advice I was given from an Ayurvedic perspective was to start to meditate. That was my kind of homework. Mm -hmm. Was the first thing I had to do before changing my diet was learn to meditate. And so that was interesting because it wasn't like eat this food or eat that food. The person, you know, giving me this advice probably saw that anxiety was a problem mm. and these underlying issues. And so I learned to meditate. I learned transcendental meditation. And in that tradition, you meditate 20 minutes twice a day. I was dedicated to it because within three months, my whole world changed. I no longer had the stomach issues that I had um, growing up. And I also had so much energy and I just felt really good. And mm -hmm. so it, I didn't really need to try anymore. It was just something that became second nature to me. Although life changes and my practice has ebbed and flowed and there's been times sure. that yeah. um, I only did once a day and 
some months I didn't do it at all. And But it's always wonderful to know that this tool is in, as yes. they say, your toolbox. It's it, always yes. there for me. And when I go back to it, I, I just feel so just like myself again. Mm-hmm. Initially, you went to U of M and you got a degree. Yes, in English literature. Oh, first of all, let's define Ayurveda. Okay. What is Ayurveda? So, I'm sure yeah. there are people who have no idea yes. what we're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Ayurveda is a system of medicine from India. It's thousands of years old. And the word itself means the science of life or um, even the knowledge of longevity. And the definition of health, according to Ayurveda, is when you have all of your tissues in balance and your digestive system is working and you're eliminating byproducts healthily and your mind and your senses are full of bliss, which is a little bit different from our maybe Western definition, kind of the absence of disease. Right. So much more hopeful. Yeah, I know. It's great. Mm -hmm. And when I experienced within such a short time, so much of my life improved just Mm -hmm. from adding this one thing, I just wanted to learn more. So for most of my college, I just studied Ayurveda. I mentored with somebody and I just read everything I could and so I started to learn about Ayurveda and implement it in my life and um, it just never left me. It became this passion and this obsession even that I couldn't go a day of my life without thinking about. Oh, that's great. continued. I still don't go a day without thinking about it. When I was 25, I moved out to Albuquerque and did a two-year program learning Ayurveda. You're kind of following your bliss a little bit there, huh? Yeah. That's really inspiring. You also studied Chinese medicine. Eventually, I went on to study Chinese medicine and acupuncture. One of my Ayurveda teachers was also a doctor of oriental medicine, and she wrote a book called Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life. And I read it, and I was like, all right, that's it. i got to go to acupuncture school. Wow. i got to do what she's doing. And I ended up in Santa Fe for acupuncture school. Then you ended up back in Michigan. After four years of acupuncture school, and that time I had met my husband, got married, and we moved to Michigan the summer of 2016 when he got a job at MSU. Okay. I'll move into that second question now about anxiety. Do you experience anxiety and depression? And if so, how do you cope? You talked a little bit in your answer about and this is, and this kind of leads into the story that you want to tell here today about how grief and depression are kind of inseparable in your mind and how you've dealt with anxiety your whole life and didn't know what it was till you were 20 yes. or something like that. Yeah. So I guess the main thing that I learned when I began meditating was how anxious I had been because suddenly I didn't feel this overwhelming sense of just that how I feel anxiety just this tightness and this clenching and this racing and and I suddenly realized that I had been anxious my whole life and it was that figuring out how to cope with anxiety that was really what was causing my digestive issues Mm. so I learned I found the root cause of my problems. I love how you, I, I don't mean to interrupt, yeah, but I want to make sure I mention this. Somewhere in your in answering your questions, you mentioned you learned that you had to digest your past trauma as well. Yes. I love the word digest with that because mm-hmm. it makes so much sense to me in my own body when uh-huh. I feel my own trauma and I feel my anxiety. Yeah. It is like a thing that needs to be yes. dealt with in your body. Yeah. You can feel it, but it's hard to define. But when And when you said digest, I'm like, yes. Yeah. That's well, exactly it. And that was what I learned was that, um, I mean, the context of that time was that my parents were getting divorced. My mom had been really sick in the hospital. And when I got to college, I realized I, I hadn't dealt with any of that. I didn't mm. have any tools to cope with these difficult experiences in my life. And when I learned to meditate, I was like, oh, now I'm processing this backlog of, of information that needed to have an outlet. And um, 
So I discovered for myself this mind-body connection in a way that I felt really integrated in my own body. Mm-hmm. Was it instant for you? It was so within st- three months. That is so I incredible to me. Felt yeah, and I don't know if it was because I was so young or I was doing it twice a day, forty minutes a day is a lot of meditating. But I I started just tapping into that kind of bliss space mm-hmm. that meditation speaks of, yeah. and it's not always the point of meditation. But there is that possibility to access sure. that place. And um, do you, would you call it transmuting? I like the word transcending. In the tradition I studied, and I've practiced all sorts of meditation since, mm-hmm. but um, transcendental meditation, they use this metaphor of as you meditate, you transcend to the bottom of the ocean. And every mm-hmm. time you have a thought, it's like a stress bubble being released. Mm. And the point is not to have no thoughts. It's just to not attach to the thoughts. Mm. So you might say, oh, I'm worried about this or I need to go grocery shopping. And instead of then writing the grocery list, it's like you go back to your mantra and then keep kind of traveling down to the bottom of the ocean where it's this calm space. Wow. And so it was just a way of digesting the stress and that emotion. In Ayurveda, the, the heart of Ayurveda is about digestion. And because it's a mind-body-spirit medicine, it's not just the food that you eat. It's your experiences. Mm-hmm. And and so what I've come to believe is that the food we eat is incredibly important. But I think it's more, for me, in the work that I do with other people, is about how can we digest our past and wow. in a way that we can fully integrate it. So to get to the grief part of that, we're going to talk a little bit about your experience having to have a late-term abortion. Mm-hmm. Do you think that having all this experience before this happened was a sort of a foundation that helped you through it? Yes, 100%. Yeah. I mean, shit still hit the fan, yeah. but like, it just, I had this backbone of mm-hmm. something to fall on. A parachute to open, yes, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. So, into kind of the heart of the story is that I've always wanted to be a mother. It's just something that I knew since I was a little kid, and I had wanted. When I met my husband, we got married. I wanted to be a mother for a long time, but I was in school, I was in a master's program, and it was really important to me to finish school before trying to get pregnant. So I finished school, we did get pregnant pretty easily, and and it was just great, it was just so happy. We were still living in Santa Fe at that point, and we had just decided to move to Michigan, to East Lansing, which is, East Lansing was totally new for me, but I have family in Michigan, I have friends in Detroit and Ann Arbor. So it felt like this exciting new journey we were going on. And I loved being pregnant. I was incredibly nauseous and so hungry. And <laughs> but I and I felt kind of terrible, but I loved it. I just found so much joy in all the strange symptoms that were happening. Yeah. And every day I'd check my belly to see if it was bigger yet. And, and since we were in Santa Fe and we were leaving, I told all of my friends in my first trimester that I was pregnant. And I even said back then, I said, well, if I lose the baby, I would tell them anyway. It's not like something right. that I would keep silent. So even though it's sort of a thing you don't tell people in the first trimester, I decided to do it because we were leaving. I just wanted to be excited with all my friends mm-hmm. and share the good yeah. news. And so we, um, we moved to Michigan. We stayed with my mom for a couple months while we were looking to buy a house. And then in that time, it was the end of August. It was actually August 29th, our wedding anniversary. We had our 20-week anatomy scan. I was technically 19 weeks at that point, 
but that is the big scan where the doctors look at all the organs of the baby. They check out the brain and they measure everything. Mm -hmm. It's a really big deal. And I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was another ultrasound. We get to go see the heartbeat and, Mm -hmm. you know, get to see the baby again. Right, right. So I wasn't really prepared for how long it was and all the things they were looking for. And then we left the appointment because there was a scheduling conflict, and so we didn't meet with the doctor right after the appointment. So we just went home, and I remember I was driving, and I thought to myself, like, this is the happiest moment of my life. Mm. Like, I just remember being happy and being aware of my own happiness, and we had just found out we were having a boy, which I didn't really care, but I had this intuition it was a boy, Mm -hmm. so I was excited to have that confirmed. And my husband and I just spent the day just kind of in this bliss land. And then his name came to me out of nowhere. And the name that came was Emerson. And I told my husband, he's like, I like it. And it was settled Aww. after months of disagreeing and wow. back and forth. Yeah. And to me, that's really special because the name came when I believed I was having a healthy child. Mm-hmm. And then about 30 minutes later, I got a call from the doctor. And... <laughs> She said that multiple fetal anomalies were detected on the scan. She just rattled off this whole thing about the brain and the kidneys and Mm -hmm. debris in the stomach and something with the heart and too many things to even grasp. And um, she said, I can't tell you what any of this means. You need to go in for um, genetic testing or genetic counseling, and you'll have an appointment later this week. So you have to sit with it for a week? Yes. It, that was Monday and Just the point was on Friday. And so I hung up the phone. My husband was like, what happened? And it was just And then you have shock. to explain to him what you just heard. Yeah. And try to try and make ex- sense of it. Yeah. And it was just total shock. But meanwhile, I was still pregnant. I was starving. I was hungry. Mm-hmm. So I had to still go take care of my bodily needs. And we went out to this Chinese place and I had to eat to eat. But I was just, I don't know if I could ever go back there mm-hmm. really. Yeah. And we went for a walk, and we just talked about, um, you know, I just said, think happy thoughts. Like, just think positively. We can think our way out of this. <laughs> and by the next morning, I woke up, and I just had this, you know, heaviness mm. in my heart. And I just, I knew it was probably over. I knew that the pregnancy mm. was probably going to end. And... Um, and so that was a Tuesday, so I still had to wait till Friday, and it was just this strange space where, you know, the space before and then after a phone call like that, yeah. that life is just completely different, but yet still very unknown. And and so that Tuesday night I went to bed, and I've, I've always been really connected with my dreams, and I've gotten different messages throughout my life of um, kind of significant things through my dreams. And I woke up that morning... <clears throat> I was crying out of a dream and I told my husband what happened and I was still kind of half asleep. So so basically in this dream, I was at a playground with my husband and there was a little boy about two years old walked up to me and he asked me why he couldn't stay with us. And I got to hold him in my arms and hug him and love him and tell him that his body wasn't healthy and we had to let him go so that he could come back in a healthy body that he couldn't stay with us trapped inside a an unhealthy body Mm. and I got to tell him that we loved him and that we wanted him but that we had to let him go and he heard that and he said something to me like yeah if something doesn't work right you have to let it go so it can come back to you Mm. and later I really took that as as permission to end the pregnancy 
And in the background, there was this other little boy, and they were about the same age, and he was just playing on the playground. And when I woke up, I knew that they were twins, but not twins. Like, I was mm -hmm. I was like, I don't have twins, but they're twins. And then I woke up, and I just knew. I just knew that whatever it was, we had to let this baby go. Mm. And we didn't know the medical diagnosis at that point. Wow. But I knew I had to start preparing to, mm. to say goodbye. That was such a gift it to, was, like, go into it with some knowledge, yeah. internal knowledge. Yeah. It yeah. was the biggest gift of my life, I have to say. I don't mm. know how I would have managed the grief and just the aftermath of the abortion and had I not had that mm. because there was this underlying peace in my heart. Yeah. Even though I still had to go through everything else, mm -hmm. um, I just, I felt like it was the thing that I had to do. And this is my thing is that everyone might make a different choice or have a different um, situation. But in my case, it was like a spiritual choice yeah. that I made. And so we went in for follow-up genetic testing on Friday, had another ultrasound, very traumatic to sit there and watch my baby on the screen for two hours and knowing that it wasn't going well. Mm -hmm. um, and then they came back and they gave us a diagnosis and somehow miraculously, most of the anomalies had corrected themselves. So no longer, there was nothing wrong with the heart or the kidneys or the stomach. It was the brain. There was it's a very rare syndrome where part of the brain is missing and so the head circumference is small is in the negative percentile and they just described to me a outcome like the child who who might live might survive pregnancy but would face multiple brain surgeries as a child and really have no ability to communicate to eat to talk to walk and um, might live out you know the, his life in a hospital mm -hmm. situation and so it was kind of the hardest choice to make, but in some ways I knew exactly what I, the choice I was going to make. Right. And so then at that point, we um, bought our house, and oh, man. which happened like a few days later, and then, which was just, it was just crazy timing. And then when I was exactly 21 weeks, I had an abortion. And in the state of Michigan, it's not technically called a late-term abortion, but I use that term because... It's sort of nationally what people say mm. when they talk about a second trimester abortion or a third trimester. And I think it's kind of a, a nasty term in a way. It's a judgy term. And so to me, it's not really the truth of what's going on. So mm -hmm. I kind of use it in a way to I don't kind know. of change the perception around exactly. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not the end of the story. No. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just so many pieces to it. I mean, at that point, I had to decide how was I going to labor and deliver the baby right. or have the surgical extraction what procedure. a huge decision that must be oh my god i mean it's just like this decisions never stop i yeah. thought once i made this first decision i mean the way i thought about it was that the first decision my husband and i had to make as parents mm -hmm. was the most excruciating one and it was in that moment that i actually became a mother the moment i had to stop thinking about my own self and my own needs and think about my child and make a decision that I felt was best for him and was the least suffering for him and was going to be the best possible outcome for him. Mm. And I think that's what a mother does. But I really struggled with this identity of being a mother but not having a child. Yes. And wow. feeling the invisibility of my own motherhood. I mean, I'm grateful that you said that. I've never thought about that. Mm. And that is such a powerful 
idea that it was foreign to me until now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so important for me to acknowledge that space for people. Yeah. Yeah. And whether it's a uh, miscarriage or stillborn, it's like there's, I think, as someone who's had a pregnancy loss, it often goes unrecognized mm-hmm. or untalked about or intangible Mm -hmm. so nobody else knows of this and it's invisible like Mm -hmm. your grief is invisible to people yeah even my husband he didn't know of the connection I had with this child and it's almost like even more painful than losing the baby was this the second part that happened yeah it not being seen and that's actually why I keep needing to tell the story because I need to make this child's life matter Mm. to give it purpose and meaning and honor and for people to know that he was loved even though I made a choice that might to some seem like an awful choice but to me it was it was based in love mercy yeah yeah and kindness Mm. were you supported by your family and yes a hundred percent I'm lucky that my family completely understood and agreed and there was no sort of political divide Mm. there so I had all the support of course then people start to tell you stories like my grandmother had a stillborn child and things that you just never people don't tell you until you have your own experience Mm -hmm. and so people came out of the woodwork family telling me about this loss and that stillborn does that that help you as someone suffering grief or does does it kind of compound your grief it helped me yeah it helped me just to see how common it was Mm. I think and that they survived a loss yeah. like that um, and that someone might kind of have a clue into what I was going through. Did you reach out to any kind of support groups other than family? I did. I went to um, one in-person support group and it was kind of awful and I was like, I'm never going back there. And then I found this online Facebook group for women just like me who've ended wanted pregnancies mm. and that was it continues to be a support. I still check in with them. Um, and it was just so helpful to have people who knew exactly someone maybe even shared the same diagnosis that my wow. son had. Or there's so many nuances that go into grieving a pregnancy that you end <laughs> with the choice. Yes. And how complicated that is and how much guilt and shame and anger and misunderstanding is involved with that. So to have a network of people who understood exactly maybe what I was feeling yeah. and was going through themselves, I found incredibly supportive. Could you share some of the things that happened maybe within your support network that helped you the most? Like what should a person say to someone suffering this kind of loss or not say? What is helpful and what is not helpful? I think one of the big things things that go around is people say that everything happens for a reason. And um, I know a lot of people get really angry with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's putting a lot on the, the griever to try to figure out to what the reason was. Yes. And I think it's more meaningful and empowering if the, the person experiencing the loss can decide whether or not it happened for a reason or mm-hmm. not. Like to, for my own self, I have come around that I do think in some ways this did happen for a reason, but I had to get there myself. Right. And I had to be the one to understand that also there was no meaning in this loss. Like, and then I can give it meaning. Like, that was really hard for me. I, I read this Mary Oliver poem, and she, she really spoke to me, and, and just how, you know, we might, she says, like, mm. standing on the shore and trying to attach, you know, some meaning to the lilies, and mm. how there is no meaning. They're just simply doing from the deepest 
something spurs of their being. And I thought, you know what? Like this loss, it can have no meaning and it can have all the meaning and it's both those things. And I can be the one to give it meaning and that is what's gonna be healing for me. But nobody else can do that. That's my own sacred. Yeah. Like I feel really like that's my sacred thing to decide if it meant something, if it didn't, if it was meant to be, da da. And that's an ongoing process for you. Oh, it's yeah. been two and a half years now, you mm -hmm. said. And it's still something you think about every day? Every day, yeah. It's different now that I have a son. Mm -hmm. And it's changed it, my relationship to, I don't know, just to the daily, day-to-day -day of of grief. Um, but it's still there. And I, I still need to honor it mm -hmm. and to accept that there's moments that it's going to take me by surprise and, you know, flatten me on the floor and... I still have this baby to take care of, and I just need to do both. I need to, you know, love him and be grateful for him and still grieve a loss that was incredibly significant and yeah. traumatic. So in this new political climate, this happened to you right before Trump was elected? This happened right before. So this was September of 2016. Oh, so wow. I was dealing with the, um, the debates. I remember mm -hmm. that those really... Or just one morning, I finally got myself out to a yoga class. I was trying to, I really self-isolated. So just to go to yoga class was really a big deal for me to get out yeah. of the house. And on my way to yoga, there was someone on the radio talking about how women who have abortions are murderers. And oh, no. she just kept saying this word murderer. And I went to yoga thinking, no, that's not me. But as I sat in with the yoga practice, it like settled in my body. And I thought, how could someone think that of me? I was like, I'm a mother, like not a murderer. And it became incredibly important for me to start to talk about my story because it was just people were talking about abortion and they didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, isn't it funny? We can. It's almost like we depersonalize it so much. Yeah. We're not talking about people anymore. No. We're talking about situations yes. and beliefs. Yeah. With There was a, the 20-week abortion ban that was go trying to get through the house and the senate and mm. i wrote people in in michigan and like for some politicians out there who would say oh this would just make me so angry that some you know usually a man would say well a fetus can feel pain at 20 weeks and i'm like well first of all my doctor says that's not true and second of all the pain that a fetus might feel when they you know sever the umbilical cord is nothing compared to multiple surgeries and tubes and you know, a life of suffering. So mm -hmm. it's just like, why can't we have that conversation too? Yes. Like, so frustrating yeah. to, not, to feel like I don't have a voice against these big political figures. Mm -hmm. You keep on keeping on though. Yeah. I mean, all you can do is tell your own story. I yeah. feel like all, that's all any of us can do is mm -hmm. be authentic and honest about what we're experiencing. Yeah. You know, without almost, it looks like you have to come maybe from a place of not expecting to change anybody's mind. It just yeah. has to be for yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't want to change anybody's mind. I just wish people could be more kind about about it or think deeply about it. Or Yeah, I just wish people could understand that they don't know. Yes. Uh -huh. Like, if we could all just yeah. take a step back and understand that we really don't know right. much of anything. Yeah. We don't know. And we don't know what we're going to do in that particular right. context. I mean, I thought that when I was 15 weeks pregnant, the doctors say, do you want to have this blood test? And I'll tell you if there's, you know any um, issues with the baby, genetic or otherwise. And and I talked with my husband, I was like, well, I don't know because we wouldn't do anything about it if something you know bad were to come up. And so that was when I was 15 weeks pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have the information that I had when I was 20 weeks pregnant of 
this bad thing did come up and this yeah. is the outcome and so even my own self like I couldn't imagine making the choice I did even three weeks earlier isn't that incredible yeah oh. so if that's just within one person I mean yes yeah you don't know what you don't know yeah it's such a powerful thing that you're sharing this I really appreciate you doing oh, it it's oh. so courageous I have a friend who's dealing with like fertility issues and mm. stuff right now. And I'm learning through her too, like mm -hmm. a, another level of motherhood. She lost one of her pregnancies and mm -hmm. she was grieving like, and she called herself a mother. It's funny. Now, yeah. it's, now I'm making the connection, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. So the more stories we hear, the more yeah. connections we can make. And I'm learning from you. Mm. And I hope that well, so many others will hear this as well. Thank you. You know, it's a hopeful we're in a hopeful space because you, you went through this thing and now mm -hmm. you're able to tell your story, share your grief, mm -hmm. and you have a baby boy. Yes, I do. Ten months old. Yes. Ten and a half. Ten, ten and, and a half, half months. Yeah. Um, yes. I waited a while to try and get pregnant again just because I wasn't in a good mindset. Mm -hmm. And when I did feel a little bit better and we, we did get pregnant again sort of quickly, and um, the interesting thing was that when I first calculated my due date it was the same exact due date as my first pregnancy whoa yeah. and so, so how did you feel when you heard that well I mean I to me I like loved it it was mm -hmm. like there's something beyond what I can see going on here yeah. and it was also the birthday of my Ayurveda teacher Dr. Vasant Lad who's like kind of my first spiritual teacher wow and so it's his birthday that's incredible yeah so I thought that was really amazing and it gave me a lot of comfort somehow and I went to an early appointment and they actually dated it a, a week later mm -hmm. because of an early ultrasound so in the end I didn't have the same due date but that initial like calculation was the same but then it was tricky because I was basically reliving a pregnancy the same season to the week of the one before wow so I think anyone who's had a loss and then they get pregnant again it's like they're kind of reliving their own horror story yeah. in a sense. and so I was kind of doing that like week by week season by season wow like two summers pregnant and there was a lot of anxiety leading up to my 20 week anatomy scan I imagine I was just gonna ask yeah, yeah so how was that well so we um we were seeing a maternal fetal medicine specialist at that point and it was totally anxiety I mean my husband was out of town up until 3 a.m the oh, night before gosh. our appointment was like the day before the anniversary of the abortion and there was those two weeks from our wedding anniversary to the anatomy scan and and my husband was gone a lot that time, and I couldn't deal. So I watched Jane the Virgin <laughs> for two weeks. I don't know anything else I did. And it was so crazy because in the episode I watched, like, she also had a difficult anatomy scan. Oh, wow. So I felt very – and if you watch that show, it's all about grief and loss. And I've it's never this, seen like, it. It's That's this, like, great. funny, like, telenovela, like, whatever. So, I mean, my way to cope was, I don't think I meditated, I don't think I did anything but watch TV, like just Netflix it out. And yeah. I had to numb myself out of, because I was terrified. And Sometimes um, that's what works. And it was just like, get myself out of, you know, like Jane the Virgin and Friends was probably what I did. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Completely so, understand you know, that form of yeah. release. Yes. Sometimes you just do what you gotta do yeah. to get through. And then um and then during that second anatomy scan we had this amazing doctor and he just, you know, went through everything and everything was perfect. And, oh, and again man. we were having a boy. Did you feel some healing in that when it was done? 
I mean, there was definitely exam. like a sigh of relief yeah. for sure. And this, and this feeling that like, okay, everything here and out is new for me. I've mm, never been yes. this far in a pregnancy. This gets to be new for me. And I was anxious throughout the whole pregnancy, but I did enjoy it as well. And I leaned on my support group actually. So mm. there's a thread in there for subsequent pregnancies. And so I got to be pregnant with a group of women on the in the support oh, group. Incredible. That's and, incredible. Yeah. And just hear of babies healthy babies being born. And I just would read that every day, like new baby being born, like that I just that was my lifeline. Oh. I could imagine so it for myself and so that gave me a lot of hope. Yeah, and then my son was born, and I mean, that was such an incredible moment of feeling all of the pain that I'd ever experienced and all of the joy, like mm. in a single moment. It was mind-blowing, the, the moment <laughs> he was born. And they asked me his name, and so the name I, I gave my son was is Ezra Day. And Ezra, um, I just, I liked it, but I liked that it was an E name to sort of honor baby Emerson that was lost and day to me it just means hope and it meant like a fresh start yeah and I knew that you know motherhood would be challenging and I wanted a little tool that would help me remember that each day is new and each day is a blessing and so if I said his name Ezra Day I could be like it might be hard now but you know every day with him is I don't take it for granted that is beautiful Mm -hmm. do you ever think of him as the other little boy in your dream yeah so I do. Yeah, the, the twins, but not twins. Yeah, and right. It's, it's so, I mean, it's like, I don't even know what to do with that. It's magical or it something. It really is. The thing that freaks me out now is that I didn't expect my son, Ezra, to be so fair-skinned. I mean, I'm fair-skinned, but my husband's kind of, he's Colombian. He's got dark hair, dark eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and the little baby in the dream was just really fair, with rosy cheeks. Really? And he's like navy gray eyes. And I was like, oh, like, you look just like my son. <laughs> and... So it's just bizarre. What a gift. Yeah. A lot of jewels in the darkness. Yes. And what a gift that you can see them. Yeah. That you're aware enough to see them and be with it. Mm. Is there anything else you want to share? You know, that last question. I I wanted to ask me about the rituals. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, Please. I've always loved rituals, too. And I love that you asked that question. And one ritual I've come to keep is in the Jewish tradition when you've experienced a loss, an immediate loss, Every year of the anniversary of the death is called the Yortzeit, and you light a candle. It's a special candle that burns for 24 hours, and you say a prayer, and then you just let the candle just do its thing for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And the first year I lit it, it was a tricky year. I mean, it was actually happy because it was the day after the positive anatomy scan, Mm -hmm. so it was a day of celebration, but also a day of loss and remembering and, I mean, remembering what I never forget. Mm -hmm. And this year, as I came to the second anniversary, I found myself kind of giddy to buy that Yorzite mm. candle. I bought it several weeks in advance and, like, had it in my cupboard and just, like, <laughs> felt this almost excitement about it. And what I came to realize is that when I lit it was that um, there's such a burden to carry grief. And especially mm. as a mother who's had a pregnancy loss or maybe an early loss, it seems like no one else can understand it. And there's no rest there's no reprieve from holding on to that Mm. you know that loss and when I lit the candle and I came downstairs early in the morning then the candle was lit I thought for a split second 
I had forgotten and the mm. candle reminded me and the candle to me served as someone it, like this, this thing this energy that could hold my grief for me so oh. I could rest for 24 hours Wow! and every time I saw that candle for those 24 hours I just felt like someone outside of me knows this pain and I can take a break for oh. a minute <laughs> and so that's a um a ritual that I, I so powerful and I never knew that before because I never had suffered a loss like this so um I think yeah just there's so much healing and, and rituals and and that was totally unexpected but yeah. it's something I will continue to look forward to and it's a way to celebrate the life that that was there for you know 21 weeks thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that oh, thank you it's amazing how powerful ritual can be yeah. and we kind of can forget about mm-hmm. it until we need it and that's yeah. why it's there right yeah well, thanks so much again for sharing your story. I'm so happy you reached out. Oh, thank you for yes. doing this project and for helping me tell my story. Yeah. It's so healing every time. Where can people find you if they want to find about yeah. your holistic practices? Sure. Yeah. Um, I have a practice in East Lansing. I have a website and mm-hmm. it's... I'll have it on the... Okay, yeah. yeah. So you can put it on. It's racheleredmond.com and I'm on Instagram, rachel.e.redmond my middle name's Elaine so lots of ease going on (laughs) (laughs) and um, yeah so awesome check her out you guys her practice is so beautiful her website's beautiful and it's you're posting you have a blog where you just shared Mary Oliver's poem yes so you get to see stuff like that too if you check in with her Mm -hmm. okay thanks Rachel thank you so much